Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And it finally happened. Elaine Vigneault, no more. Michelle Terrian, no more. Where the hell do the Flyers go from here? Let's talk about it all right now. This is the Orange and Back Check Podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhardt. It is episode 95, and as always, you are listening to Orange and Back Check. Make sure you follow us, subscribe to us, and give us five-star reviews on all of your major podcasting platforms, Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. And across from me, as always, Scott Weinhardt, a guy who's probably pretty happy right now after a nice another another upturn of the change of the guard here in Philadelphia for the Philadelphia Flyers. What is going on, Scott? It's like a soap opera as the Flyers turn. It just you know the the cycle never ends. Listen, no. I, I need to start off by saying this right off the bat. I knew this was coming. Okay, I'm not here to pat myself on the back. We all kind of knew it was coming. Yep. I think last night was the straw that broke the camel's back when you have three days off and then you lose seven to one. That is flat out embarrassing, almost like that 9-1 loss last year. It was very close to it. I don't want to see anybody ever lose their job. Never. Honestly, I, I it's it sucks that a guy had to lose his job. At the end of the day, this is the best move the organization could make. There's a lot of people on Twitter right now freaking out. A lot of people who have the wrong look at this thing. Uh, few, a lot of people even who have had close ties to the organization. I don't think they're looking at this correctly. This was the best move the team can make. Give Mike Yo an opportunity to see what he can do for now, and that buys you time to see what else is out there and what direction next you want to take this team. Yeah. So in case you somehow missed it, I mean, it, it, it's pretty self-explanatory. Elaine Vigneault was let go as of this morning around 10 o'clock, 1030. Uh, Michelle Terrian, as Scott has discussed uh, and brought up his right-hand man, Michelle Terrian, also out wherever he goes, they go, uh, and that's it. Um, and Mike Yo immediately before – they didn't immediately name – I mean, it was pretty obvious that that was going to be it, but yeah. they didn't immediately name Mike Yo as the guy um, – but he is now the interim head coach officially there. It sounded like Chuck Fletcher spoke around noon and I watched a little bit of it, but I mean, it was kind of, it just felt like lip service. We're not going to rush the process. We're going to do interviews when they come to us. We, we don't really have a direction. We just need to be better. All this other stuff. Um, I think that it, it, it just makes sense that, I mean, like Michelle Tarian and Elaine Vigneault were attached at the hip. 
Mike Yo and and Chuck Fletcher are attached to the hip. Whether that's a good or bad thing remains to be seen. Obviously, two different rosters we're talking about uh, because he, they work together in Minnesota. Now they're obviously together here in uh, Philadelphia. Um, I think this is a really uh, an interesting cross uh, a crossroads for this organization, not just uh, roster wise, player wise, staff wise, but I think just organizationally. Um, I think we're at a breaking point for uh, the fan base. I, I said in the, in our preseason pod, this is the last season that you get a um, a, uh, a a a pass or whatever you want to call it for gritty. Because gritty was kind of like the uh, 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 the summarization of where this 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 the, the ownership group viewed the team. They, they just wanted to add a mascot. They wanted to get very corporatey, not really grind to uh, brim to the grindstone, that kind of thing. Um, so if this fails, like if, if Mike Yo fails, if if the next coach fails, whatever it may be, and again, I'm like you, Scott. I don't want to see anybody get lose their job, but in the NHL. more often than not, they get a job somewhere. They're fine. Um, I just, I don't know where this organization, I guess the big point I'm trying to make is I don't see a big difference. that's going to be happening over the next two weeks, three weeks, six months, unless, unless Mike Yo has somehow gotten into this team that AV hasn't. And that obviously remains to be seen. Listen, I, First of all, let's be real about the turnover portion of this. Let's start there. Mm-hmm. The, there are only a certain amount of coaches that have been in the NHL longer than five years. There's actually, let's see, one, two, three, five NHL coaches who have been with their teams five years or longer. Everyone else has been four years or less. Mm-hmm. So the shelf life of NHL coaches is not very long. The longest tenure coach in the NHL is John Cooper, and he's won two Stanley Cups since then. And been to another final with that tenure. Paul Maurice is another one. You may not realize the Winnipeg Jets. He's been there since 2014. And then Jeff Blagiel, who survived many, many coaches around the NHL, has been rebuilding the Red Wings since 2015 after Mike Babcock left. So, and after that, it's Mike Sullivan who's also won two Stanley Cups with Pittsburgh. The NHL does not have a long shelf life on coaches. The thing is, though, is that people don't realize that, yes, I think there's some organizational problems here. A lot of it has to do with the fact that this team's culture died with Mr. Snyder. Plain plain and simple. I mean, let's be real. Like, the team culture that we all grew up watching, the Flyers, Mr. Snyder would never stand for any of the stuff that's been going on. Now, granted, he would go out and make sure that if a team was underperforming, he would make a move like this or – you know, there would be something he wouldn't tolerate the losing that they have going on, but he also yeah. wouldn't tolerate the, the, the ridiculous, um, you know, mediocrity that's been pronounced for the past decade. I will say this though. I think people are overreacting to the situation. I, I honestly look at this team and say, this team, you want to say, Oh, Claude Giroux is a coach killer. And they've changed the coach so many times. Those rosters were completely different. The only at team, same players that are, we own those teams would be really, you're talking about Sean Couturier yeah. and yeah. Claude Giroux. I, 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 I think it's, this is a coaching problem. This whole thing is so far, this whole season has been coaching. It's been coaching the way they're playing. And I think that really people are overreacting to this. I agree with you in that sense. I think I saw on their Facebook page, uh, the Flyers Facebook page or Twitter page, whichever one it was, 
the hate that I, I, I really do describe it as hate. Like normally I, I, I go uh, a little hyperbolic and, but it's, it, it's, it's hate towards Claude Giroux. It's uh overreaction to Claude. It, it's just a very, and you're right. Like we're talking about two players that have been on this team since 2012 uh in Carter Hart or excuse, Carter Hart in Claude Giroux and 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 Sean Couturier I mean these guys are it, it you can talk about the core which has varied uh for the most part uh up until last or up until this season when it really became Claude Giroux Sean Couturier and you could say Carter Hart a little weird to have a goalie as the core but he is the core um so it's just one of those things where it's very, it's very misplaced, and it's just easy to put a target on the players when, yeah, you're right. You've gone through seven coaches or six coaches over the past decade all about, uh, and it's the, the players haven't re- – there hasn't been much turnover. I think what people are more trying to find a frustration with is the lack of player development and skilled players. Agreed. That's where they are not finding it, and it's not the – Yes, it's the coach's job to get put those skilled players in the right position, but it's the general managers, it's the ownership group, it's their position to find those, and the scouts, it's their position to find those players and draft them correctly when they needed to be drafted to develop them into the stars that you want them to be. So, yeah, AV is uh, public enemy number one in this scenario because you had to get rid of him. Uh, first, you're not going to trade your captain when he has a no movement clause. You can approach him uh, at any point and say, hey, do you mind waving this? He can just say F off. I'm not doing it. So AV has to be the guy that goes. You're in the middle of the season. You're 22 games in, 23 games in. Like you're not going to do anything player wise other than a couple of bottom six forward trades. Like that's not going to move the needle. No, no. So. And here's here's the key too. This is what people understand. If you go back and look at the history of the Flyers coaches, they're not a team that varies very long on their own. They're not a team. They're the NHL in general is not a team that keeps coaches around long term. It's not like the NFL where you can have an Andy Reid around for 14 seasons. Yeah. You can have a Sean Payton around for 14 seasons, a Bill Belichick over for 20 years. It's not built like that. There is turnover because of the game is about speed. If you look back at the Flyers history, who do you think the longest tenured coach? If you look back. The longest tenured coach in Philadelphia Flyers history is who is the longest tenured? Uh, well, Hitchcock was around forever. Uh, yes, we, that's yeah. actually right. Hitchcock was around, and how long was he around for? Let's say six, maybe seven, four, four years. Wait a minute, what? Yes. May fourteenth, two thousand two, to October twenty second, two thousand six, and that's not, and that's including a full lost season from the lockout. I was going to say, he so is the real- longest tenured coach in Flyers <sighs> history. And that's, that's insane for a franchise that's been around. I'm since... sorry. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Excuse me. Besides Fred Shear. Excuse me. I should go back and say, Fred right. Shear. I was going to say Fred Shear. Shear obviously and, you know, was keeping Freddie yeah. out of it, but say besides him, he's the longest tenured coach in flies history. Which in, tells yeah. Me. Yeah. So good. My, my point is this, is that changing a coach can do a lot for a team. I understand people frustrated and going after Claude Drew because he's been the face of the franchise for the past decade. They don't have another superstar like an Eric Lindros, but if remember, People gave Lindros a lot of grief on his way out of here too, because he had yes. a bad relationship with Bobby Clark when he left. Yep. You know, there's, there's, there's that happens sometimes. Like, what people need to know right now is that they're putting an indictment on the franchise for the way they operate. I agree. There's some issues there. Gritty's a problem there. Something as simple as 
taking two of the small logos and putting them on either side of the red line and making one big logo and cut through the middle. Mr. Snyder didn't like that at all because it breaks up the logo. A dog pooping on the logo today. Yeah, that, I saw that tells that. you something that's problematic. Like something, this, something about that just happening today of all days is just it's poetic. The- <laughs> it's absolutely poetic. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But that's the key: is that the Flyers never had a short shelf, a long shelf life for coaches anyway. Besides Fred Shiro, Ken Hitchcock is the longest tenured coach. So that's what you have to take in fact. Out of all twenty-two they've had, it's Ken Hitchcock who's been yeah. in the last twenty years. But going back to my point, this is going to be a positive for the team because it's really something where from looking at it from my perspective, you can tell when a coach is not getting the most out of the group. People want to say, go on a full rebuild. We need to trade Claude Drew and get assets and, and rebuild from the ground up. No, you don't. The talent is there. I'm telling you, this team is very similar to the to the mid-2010 Eagles teams where they mm-hmm. had – had flashes of talent and flashes where they did things really well. They just never really put it together until that 2017 season and when that one and they're really good. So it might be the br- same thing for this team. So because you're bringing that up now, and I, I was going to address this question uh, in a, a little bit later, but I'll just do it now because you're comparing them to the Eagles of 2010s. Uh, one former coach, uh, Craig Berube, took over a St. Louis Blues team in the middle of a season in 2017, 2016, 2017, uh, and they were in similar 2019. 2019. In a, in a very crappy position. I think they were dead last, if not almost dead last, uh, in the NHL. They turn it around around this time, too. Like, if I remember correctly, Craig Baruch's named head coach in January. Head coach in January. Interim head coach in January of 2019, and they were dead last in the league at the time. They turn it around. And they win the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. Now, I think we both agree we we didn't have Stanley Cup expectations for this team going into this season, even with the roster moves. We did have high expectations. If we both, I, if I remember correctly, we both said Eastern Conference Finals or bust—not bust, but contenders. Do you? Let's assume that Mike Yo is still the guy uh, come January, February, March through the rest of the season. Is that anywhere plausible that they can make a run at just say the second or third rounds, which I guess would be, yeah. He's done it. He's done it. He's done it with teams before. And let's go back and let's go back into Flyers history. And let's, let's have a little bit of a history lesson. Shall we? One example is just last year, Gilliam Ducharme with, uh, with Montreal. They, they, they can their coach in the middle of the season. And then next thing you know, Ducharme comes in and carries them to a cup final. Now they didn't win. They carried them there. Still, uh, the first yeah. Canadian team to make the playoffs in a, who knows how long for makes first to make the finals and again a long, long time. So I mean that that carries weight, especially for the Montreal Canadian uh, fan group. Right. Fan base. Exactly. And there's another thing too. Go back a decade ago, Peter Levitt, around the irony is about the same time of year, same time of calendar year that John Stevens was fired. Pretty much, I'm looking at my time hop. It's pretty much the same day. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, honestly, like the Levitt Flyers carries him to a fire in 2010. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the Flyers kind of do this around the same time every year. I mean, you saw this with Dave Haxtall back in 2018, 2019. I mean, I mean, or, that was yeah, a 20- bit different. That was a that, that it was, but I'm talking about just different. the time for. I'm talking about just the time frame. I'm not talking about the fact that he walked up to Fletcher and was like, "Hey, do I have? Can you guarantee my job for the next season?" And he goes, "No, I cannot." Like, what are you right. talking about? 
Right. Uh, and obviously that's when everything broke down and that was it. Um, right. But yeah, like it, it just seems to be the pattern of the Flyers, which is a good or bad thing, however you want to view it. But um, it's pattern of the league, really. It's yeah, really, that's true. It's not just yeah. the Flyers, the pattern of the league because Vancouver just fired their coach and yep. their GM. And now and they Bruce brought in Bruce Boudreaux. Montreal just fired their GM, Mark Bergevin, even though he was under, under his contract was up at the end of the year anyway. But yeah. even going back, this is something that's happened before plenty of times. Like, let's let's go back even a couple of years ago. Okay, Mike Sullivan. Mike Sullivan, the current coach of the Penguins, he was brought in midseason, and then yeah. they won the Stanley Cup. They went back-to-back Stanley Cups. And then five years before that, Michelle Therrien takes a team to the Stanley Cup final, gets canned the following season. Mike Yo's on the bench next to Dan Biles when the Penguins won the Stanley Cup. So, like... This has happened plenty of times before. Uh, back in 2000, yeah, Larry Robinson and, and Robbie Fortura gets fired in 2000 against the with the Devils. Larry Robinson comes in and guess what they do? They win the Stanley Cup, the Devils. Again, yeah. And they beat the Flyers in, in, in the uh, conference final. So this has happened plenty of times in the past where a team is right on the verge and they're just not getting it done. And that change up front where a coach comes in, it's a fresh set of eyes, a fresh look, a different perspective, a different, and most importantly for this team, a different style of play. Yeah. Because for everything you look at, this is all systematic. Mike Yo could come in here, and you heard what he said earlier today. If you were listening to the press conference, he yeah. said that, you know, I like to play with the puck. I like to attack the puck. And if we don't have the puck, we want to get it back as soon as possible and go attack them. Like to me, that tell me he's going to have an aggressive forecheck and it's going to be telling these guys to get dirty in the corner. It might take some time for them to get used to that. Because they're not going to play X's and O's right off the bat, like with a game today and this week, they're not going to have time to transition their system, but they are eventually going to. And if he's going to be aggressive like that, his team is going to be much better. Because yeah. instead of dropping and preventing goals from going in and being passive on their forecheck, they're going to be more aggressive on their forecheck, more aggressive about attacking the puck. They're going to be a little more wide open play, which means they're going to suffer defensively for it. But it's going to pick up their offense, which has been the biggest problem for the last two months. I wonder if, like, I, the more you and I, we've talked by phone, whatever, and obviously right now on the pod, like, was it was it a risk that the roster change that Chuck Fletcher made, and obviously I'm sure AV was a part of that conversation. If he's not, then there's a bigger issue at hand. I'm going to guess that he was uh, to bring in the Ryan Ellis, who's obviously hurt, um, Cam Atkinson, uh, Ristolainen. Like, was there a part of, I wonder if there was a part of Chuck Fletcher that said, I'm not sure that AV has the demeanor or the, um, or this, uh, or the, the, the idol ideology as a coach to fit the roster that I think the Flyers need. So basically what I'm saying is, I wonder if after a certain point he realized, yeah, no one is listening to this coach or no one can play this style of hockey that AV wants on the roster that I've constructed constructed for the Philadelphia Flyers. I wonder if that had, had snuck up on him and he didn't realize the truth until today when he made the firing. I don't know. I I, I think more or less the, the changes they made were more or less because those are guys they knew could play the way they want the coaches wanted them to play. The problem is execution. I don't think I think more or less is that an experienced guy like Vigneault and people in the press are, you know, saying, Oh, he's such a good guy. I don't know why the Flyers are doing it. He okay, you can be a real nice guy in the media. Ken Hitchcock was a nice guy in the media, and he eventually yeah, lost. Yeah, like the team. that doesn't mean anything. It to doesn't us. mean anything. Especially the fan base. Yeah, and it, it lost he lost the team. Like eventually at the yeah. end of the day, yes, they believe in the message. 
but he lost the team because when you watch the Flyers the way they play hockey, they're thinking too much. They're not doing enough of just playing the game. They're thinking. They're trying to figure out where they're supposed to be and back and forth, and a lot of it gets lost in transition. They're getting pinned down. They're getting no support. A lot of the stuff is systematic. When you get into those X's and O's, it'll it'll work itself out. I think with Fletcher, I don't think – look, you don't make the changes that you did this season if you didn't think you were confident in the coach doing it. You made the changes because you put guys there who think they could execute the coach's system the best. I think what it came down to is that – not the mixture of players, the mixture of players that have here. They have a talented roster. Like they should not be playing this poorly. It's underperforming. And I don't think it's the coach getting the right message across. Now I read a report not too long ago talking about AV trying to coach Pavel Buchnevich, who was a ranger for a while now is with the blues. Right. Basically wouldn't, wouldn't work on the skill part. He would just say, go in there and get the puck. Go in there. You got to dig hard. He wouldn't work on the skill part of their game. You know, when you, when you coach at USA hockey, you're really talking about SAGs. Now, Dave Haxtell was big on these small area games because hockey, believe it or not, is played in small areas of the ice. It's played where the puck's at. It's not played away from the puck. You play at the puck. So you're in a very small area of ice where you have to do it. My view on it is that they were probably working on team drills so much and not enough of those individual skills where some of those things get lost if you don't continue to work on them. So probably a different approach even like that can make a major difference to a team because if you are missing out on an individual skill, you're a half second, split second behind another player who has been working on that. And that means you're out of position. You're getting deked out. A shot's getting on that that shouldn't. It's in the back of your net. And boom, there you go. A coach is out of a job. So take that into consideration that there's a, there's a lot more to this than just the way they're playing in games. There's probably off-ice habits that the key word they keep coming back to is habits that they're not breaking because they're probably not paying close enough attention to those skills that they need to continue developing, even at the pro level. Yeah. And I think it's also just, I, I think after a while, like it, namely, obviously recency bias with this eight game losing streak, but let's go back to ninth, the, uh, the 2020, 20, 2020, 2021 season. Um, I, I mean, this team uh, just seemed to not buy into his system, AV system I'm talking about like, he would it's it almost was like I'm just talking to a wall. I'm I have I'm listening to deaf ears. Like there's no one that is going in my what the system I that I wanted. I mean, we talked about dump and chase method for how they did the power play, how they got into the zone. Uh it felt like they were only doing half of that. They were dumping it in and they were they were either doing a line change or they just kind of were lackadaisical and getting into the zone at, it seemed like as if they were uh, uh, skating in molasses. It was a very, very odd scenario that it just seemed like the writing on the wall for what AV had done to this team was there since last season. And I don't think we wanted to accept it. Like it just seemed like if you really look like nothing had changed. Yeah. They got off to a nice start this season. And that was nice. Like we thought we finally had something here. Uh, but then we talked about the rough week ahead where they faced uh, some of the best talent in the NHL, with, starting with Pittsburgh that week, if I'm not mistaken. It was about three weeks ago. And it, it, you, it reared its head again of what this team was. The only difference was you had elite goaltending keeping you somewhat in these games that you probably could have won if you had a consistent offense, and you didn't. I, I would even go back to your point farther, and I'd say that the bubble. I'd say I really mm-hmm. start to see a difference in this team in the bubble. Like they come out strong and win those three exhibition games, and they struggle to beat Montreal. Like, 
And I think a lot of teams figure out how to beat a V system then because the, I mean, listen, they were outplayed in five of those seven games against the Islanders. They were outplayed in five of those games, especially. And I think game seven was really the icing on the cake where, yes, it was a tough series, but when you get blown out three, nothing in a game seven and look like you don't even show up when you're playing against the trap and you're not adjusting to that. I think that was the beginning of the end for without us even realizing the more I think back, yeah, the more I believe it's that series, that game seven where they almost survived. Like they were going to get blown up by Tampa, no matter what in the next round, even if they won that series, they blown, nobody was going to beat Tampa that year, but still the fact that they didn't show up in a game seven, the Islanders manhandled them in a series that they had fought and clawed for. And then it carried over in the next season. And then it carried over to start with, hey, we're starting out great and hot. And all of a sudden we stopped scoring goals and realized, oh, shit, we had the same problems we did before because our scoring was just masking it. So I think it was a longer term thing than that. I think that Fletcher and the Flyers gave Vigneault and Terry and every opportunity to fix it. And they just couldn't. Like, sometimes it just doesn't work. Like, at the end of the day, like, you can have a good person. You can have a good guy. You can have a good coach, but sometimes it just doesn't click with your group. That's not exactly an indictment on the organization. The organization drafts the best players they can, but you need to find a coach that can gel them together in that, in that, in that, in that sense. And I think that that's where they're at now is that, you know, a lot of this is on Ron Hextall. Let's not put that aside too. A lot of this team was built by Ron Hextall. So a lot of these guys are his draft choices. So they're not exactly, you can't fault Fletcher for trying to make a team instantly better by adding pieces that were available in the market. But you, you there, I mean, Fletcher's had what two drafts here, two or three yeah, drafts. Two. So there's yeah. not enough time for them to really say if it's successful or not. Yeah. So we, we won't that, know about like, I think the, I think the cream of the crop right now for him, I mean, he, like you said, he's only had two drafts, but Tyson Forrester is probably the guy that we're really keeping an eye on, and he's out for at least five months with sure. a so- shoulder injury. So Cam York too, Cam yeah, York and Cam, Cam York, York, and he's he's coming back from COVID. So and, yeah. you know there there's a lot that goes into this again, and I know we keep harping on it, but th- this this coaching change just in general is going to really help this team get going in return because it's a different voice, different leader. Players know they got problems. But it, it, it's also going to be, is this going to be a long-term thing or not? That's where I start questioning. Are you giving Mike Yo another chance? Because he look, he's he's had a respectable career in the NHL so far. I mean, yeah. let's be real. He he's he's coached two teams. You know, his first season, he missed the playoffs. But then with the next three seasons with, with Minnesota, he got to the playoffs, lost in the first round in, in 12, 2012 and 2013, the lockout year. The following two years, you lost in the second round. And then you know, halfway through the season, the season after that, 15-16, he was canned. Then he comes back the next season in with St. Louis and gets to the second round. They lose. And that was the year that, that Nashville was on that tear. So, and then the year after that, they missed the playoffs, and then he was canned again. So, this might be an opportunity for Mike Yo to really come here, not like a Scott Gordon-type situation with the Hackstall thing, but them to come in here and say, hey, you know, we might have our guy here. Let's see what he can do before we go out and get somebody else. I'm on the Rick Tockett Tockett train. I know a lot of people are saying about his analytics and stuff, but you're also coaching Arizona. I'm on the Rick Tockett train, but I also think it's fair to give Mike Yo an opportunity to see what he can do with this team because it technically is a little bit different voice because him and Fletcher go back a waste, and it it, it might be different enough where it could work. 
I am curious. So let's talk about the future here. I, I, I mean, short term, it's going to be Mike Yo at least through the new year, I would imagine, if not longer. I, I mean, honestly, you hope that he gets at least the full season unless something absolutely drastic happens. Um, what does Mike Yo uh, uh, get uh, out of this team? Um, I think the m- biggest thing that he could probably improve right away is not the top six, but the bottom six. Because the bottom six has been, and Fletcher has said this too, their lack, their uh, th- their struggles have been very, very spotlighted. Like, it's very evident when they're on the ice, the crap that's going to happen. Um, so I'd like to s- hope that Mike Yo is able to get something out of this b- bottom six. I mean, you got Patrick Brown coming back now that he, his thumb's all healed up or whatever it was. Um, I'm curious how this, how, what he does in the short term for the bottom six. Cause I think if you improve the bottom six, uh, in right away, the rest of it plays itself, the, 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 the upper six, then, then kind of conform to what's going on to, to the top, to the bottom six. Well, I mean, first of all, look, you're not going to win a lot of games when Zach McEwen's your best player. And Zach yeah. McEwen's been pretty solid for them. Connor Bunneman, I've never really, I've never really been high on. Patrick Brown coming back will probably help that. Derek Broussard coming back will help that. Um, I think uh, some of the bottom six has to do with some of the the the, the bottom six players that are available, so to speak. Uh, so that has more to do with it than anything else. From my perspective, they need to just improve defensively, mm-hmm. start finding ways to create more offense. They'll be fine if they the right now their problem is their offense, and again, it tra- it starts from their own end and transitioning out of their own zone. They need to fix that first of being able to break out of their own end and start developing more chances down low and start being a little more creative. You have 38 shots on goal against Tampa. It's not like you're not putting pucks to the net, but how many of them are actually high-quality scoring chances? Not many. That's the, that's and, and the that, thing. And that's the key. You could put yeah. 100 pucks to the net. You could put 75 shot attempts, but if you're not getting high-quality chances and goalies are seeing it the whole way and just with the glove, that's it. Yeah. You, what are you doing? So it, it, yeah, I, I think it, they need to be a little more creative, a little more even even Claude said it last night that they need to get gritty goals. They need to put somebody in front of the net. They need to try for deflections, start banging them from the point on the power play. You know, they need to they need to find ways just to get the puck inside the net, get those high quality changes. You don't need to be these fancy plays where you're deking guys inside out and then hit the post and hit the crossbar like they did against Carolina. They just need to start getting the puck on net, getting deflections, and get goals that are getting past the goal line. When Fiery gets better, because he's hurt, that's going to have an impact on the team. Yep, you get it. You'll get some of that back. JVR, look, I know JVR had a great season last year. He hasn't done anything so far this season. Start parking him in front of the net. Start getting those dirty goals. Stop having him do anything where he's playing high in the slot. Get him in front of the goddamn net. He's huge. Yeah, and then that's well, and that's Giroux, my point. setting up setting yeah. things up. Like, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. No, I I, I think because J- JVR is one of those bottom six guys. He's playing on a third line minutes now. You can bump him up to the second line if you absolutely have to. But right. in in today's NHL, with his where he is in his career, he's a bottom six guy, and that's not a bad thing. That's not an indictment on him because he can do some damage. Like he should be consistently getting you on a good year, twenty to twenty five goals on an average year, ten to fifteen goals. Right. Like I, I think he can still put up those numbers and then whatever on assists, like secondary assists, primary assists, doesn't matter. Like right. he can get you consistently that many goals, especially on the third line, and he's just not doing it. And it, it's nope. it's just how the system has been going for the last couple yeah. of seasons. You're not and using them right. They're not no, putting the players exactly. the best position to succeed. That's why all along this has been coaching. 
it's gonna it's not like oh Mike Yo's coach they're gonna they're gonna turn it around they're gonna they're gonna win the next game I don't see that happening and and it's simply because you you need time to implement the X's and O's and start working on those habits they keep talking about that are creeping their head up again. When I hear the word habits coming out of a GM's mouth and a coach's mouth or something they didn't address, that tells me not working on the details of the game enough, and that'll kill you. So yeah. I think that that's what they really need to focus on after they get to the stretch. Right now, they just got to find a way to win a game because I don't, I'm not going to be surprised with this upcoming schedule this week if we're already talking double digits and losses and in, in first streets. That's actually – you led me right into that next question. Obviously, we're recording in the middle of the Colorado game uh, in light of the firing AV. We don't normally do this, but like – they're on an eight-game losing streak. Like, if so, if this reaches as you said, ten uh, double digits, 10, 11, 12 games. Let's just go with the absolute worst of the worst. Twelve games. Um, like you can't just just say screw it and get rid of Mike Yo or immediately hire the guy that you think. But maybe Fletcher feels that. Maybe if this escalates for another four losses in a row, that. Tockett is on the docket. Not, no, did not mean to. Did not mean to rhyme. Dad joke, bro. That's not even a dad joke. That's just a stupid (laughs) phrase that I decided to go with. But like, Rick Tockett, uh, John Tortorella are the two names that we're hearing on outside of the organization. I'm starting to come around to Tortorella, but I'm not. I I would. But I think there's legitimate concerns with Tockett as well. You approach the analytics. You appro- I, I've, I, you've re- you read up on his his one season or two seasons, whatever it was, in, in Arizona, Phoenix. Obviously, that there has a small asterisk because of how bad the team is uh, and how they're constructed. But I think there's some there's some gravity to it because Tockett's the head coach. Like, can you only de- yes, you can only deal with so many uh, de- play with the hands that you're dealt. But in a how this organiz how this Flyers team is constructed, I think Tortorella gets more Tortorella gets more out of this team potentially than what a Tocket could. I think Tocket's going to be what it being the guy. It's a different voice. It's a different voice. Tortorella's a different voice. Like that's yeah. Not, uh, here's the problem with Tortorella. One of the problems with the the, the there were coming down the the rumors that were coming down the pike with AV was that um was that AV. Um, was a hard coach to play for. He was very demanding. Okay, if you yeah. thought AV was demanding, you've never met John Tortorella, who would tell the listen. Sure, John, but I, John Tortorella is ten times more demanding I, than, than I, AV was. I don't disagree with you, and that's one of the things that maybe. So I I think there's a difference that we and we've all dealt with these as as in when we were kids, when we were in high school, whatever it was. Um, when we were playing sports like you and I did, uh, like I, I think there are different kinds of demanding coaches. If that makes sense. I think there are those coaches that you're talking about with Tortorella that will uh, get in your face and say, you're not doing what I need you to do. And there's also, as you described, that a coach like AV will just say, I need you to get into the zone and work on your stick handling or just dump and chase and dump and chase and dump and chase and dump and chase. Yes, he's he's giving you what he wants, but he's also not really calling you out on your bullshit like Tortorella did. Like, I think there is an aspect that Tortorella, Tortorella, I keep saying, adding a C, needs to that could help this team because I think they need a slap on the ass. They need a slap on the wrist. They need a screaming in your face 
because it seems like they're not, not it it's not going through their heads. Yeah. And that was the I, problem with AV. Now I maybe it's getting people, through their heads with with yo and and then that's fine. But I think if we're comparing Tortorella and Tockett, I almost I lean towards Tortorella at this point. Okay, here's my issue with Tortorella. Again, because the way he's abrasive, he's going to rub the players the wrong way. They don't have the talent to be able to. He, John Tortorella is very good at being able to develop talent and bring them forward. Look what he did at Columbus. This Columbus yep. the record in Columbus was stellar. Like yeah. for a team that didn't have a whole lot of talent in it, he didn't have much playoff success. The problem with Tortorella is that he does wear thin very quickly. He's very high demanding. He's yeah, very, and we're very, talking in two he, years he, about he, firing Tortorella. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. And he, he talks some details of the game. I'm more curious about at this point if Tortorella even wants to come back to coach now that he's an analyst of ESPN. True. And I Good think point. that, I mean, look, he probably took a, he probably needed a full season off after, and that's what things we're talking about today is that he probably need a full season off after he got canned by the Rangers in 2013 and then um, went to Vancouver after that. He probably needed some time. And then next thing you know, in Columbus, he goes out, has a decent season. They're eighth in the Metro his first season. But then he made the playoffs every year after that with teams that are scrappy and good. Yep. I just – and I see it from that standpoint. But for all that's worth, for all that's worth, Rick Tockett has more Stanley Cups than than John Tortorella. And you look, Rick sure. Tockett has two Stanley Cups. Tortorella couldn't win with won. the King. Yeah, I mean yeah, – He won with the, with the Lightning in 04. Yeah, yeah. I just don't see – how Tortorella would be a good fit for this club who I, I just don't see a good fit here for how they would rub him the wrong way. Like, I just don't think he's going to mesh well with the players. I just, I, I just don't I, see it happening. I, I, I see Tockett being more of a player's coach. I think they yes. need more of a player's coach. It's going to be more developing those relationships but, with players and, and working on those little things. Sure. But he's also an analytic guy. Like, does that bode well for players to coach his relationship? I, like, again, you can only look at his few seasons with Arizona in such a way because of how poorly constructed that roster is. But I imagine when when a coach or a GM, whoever it is, in this scenario, we're ta- obviously talking about uh, uh, Tockett and a coach, like, I don't know how players, like, look how you and I react when we start talking about analytics. Imagine being a player and all of a sudden the coach and the GM are coming up to you and going, you know, your Corsi rating is a negative seven. And oh, it's I don't a, know if it happens like that. You I know what I'm, but you know what I'm being. I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. I, I I don't know if that's going to be overly the case. I'm saying his metrics, if you look at that overall, were pretty poor, but he didn't have a great roster in Arizona. So it's not like it's on him totally. So, I, I mean, look, in 1920, he, he took a pretty not awful uh, Coyote squad and, and got him and got, you know, got him in the playoffs against Colorado. I mean, you and your deal, not dealing with a whole lot of talent. That's, I think this team is a lot more talent than people give him credit for. There's a lot of talent there. You can't tell me you look at this roster on paper. You can't tell me Sean Kateri doesn't have a lot of talent. Then you have Claude. Yeah. Drew, you yep. have Cam Atkinson. Yep. You have Travis Connect. And you got Morgan Frost. You got your defense is pretty. You got Ivan Provorov. Now I'm going to hit Ryan Ellis when he comes back healthy. Travis Sandheim has had a pretty decent year. Rasmus Mr. Line when he's not, you know, having to worry about a two on one down low because people can't swing back into the play and then people are blaming him for that. When he's not playing playing top line minutes, he's playing pretty well. Justin Braun's been one of the best defensemen this year, which is problematic in its own right, but that's a credit to him because he's playing well. And then Nate Sealer, as as needed, will hop into the lineup and play well for them. So I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say that they don't have talent. They have a lot of talent. They have Kevin Hayes, another guy. Look at back Derek Broussard. He's still got stuff left in the tank. He's been an important player for this team this year so far. There's talent here. They just need someone to pull it all together. 
I don't think Tortorella is the right guy for that, for this city. I mean, look, here's what's going to wind up happening, too, with the way the Philly media is. As soon as they find out that someone makes a back, look, with all due respect, can you imagine someone making a comment, asking a Tortorella a silly question, and Tortorella just completely throwing it back in his face, giving him, yeah. giving him shit for it? And next, yeah. you know, that, that reporter's writing an article about, oh, John Tortorella, you know, he's been really abrasive with the players, blah, blah, blah. You know, how are we, how's this going to work in Philly? That's the narrative. It's going to wind up happening. No disrespect. Yeah, but fired, abrasiveness is writers, but it's what, it's what happens. I feel like abrasiveness is exactly what this team needs in some aspect. Like I, it, I don't just, think so. I think they're <laughs> soft. I think they need to be coddled, not coddled, but they need a different different tone. If you well, have that's a, a pro- coach that's been a hard if, ass right now, I get it. But if we're talking about a team, a, a roster that is all of a sudden we're talking about how they're soft and not able to take criticism that like the way that it is given to them, like um, Tortorella does then that's on Fletcher for putting together a soft organization. Like it's on Claude for leading a team that's very soft. It's on Couturier for being on a roster since it, it, it falls on those three guys. Like Carter Hart can deal. Like it, it, look at the, I, I can Hang only on. imagine what the, the conversation was with, with Carter Hart that got him right. Whether I, it was hard or soft conversations, like it's just one of those things. I don't, I don't know. Here's, Here's here's my you know I I don't disagree with that all. because at the end of the day let's start this by first of all I don't care if you make millions of millions of dollars at the end of the day they're people okay people yeah. need to be treated the right way this isn't the 1980s we have Glenn Sather screaming down your neck and you can say bad things and get away with it we're in 2020 here okay this isn't this isn't a time in the NHL anymore where you have kickers and screamers and coaches who are gonna you know be so ridiculously hard on you like a guy like. John Tortorella, who Michael Delzato made a bad play one day, and he's told him to get down to the other end of the bench, get down there, and he started screaming, I'm on the bench to get down to the other end because he didn't want him there. You don't need that. You don't need picking on players like that. They're not going to respond to that. You're just going to piss them off even more. You need someone here who's go back to, you know, the Eagles coined phrase, emotional intelligence. You need mm-hmm. a guy who's going to be able to develop these relationships with players and build that trusting relationship, but they got to have one-on-one coaching with them and, and figure out a solution to make these players better. You need a guy who's going to approach that, but it's not going to accept the nonsense. He's going to demand a tough game, but also at the same time, work with you on that. I don't think Tortorella is that kind of guy where you're going to get that soft, like not soft relationship, but a guy who's going to be open, you know, welcome arms. Like, Hey, I want to help you get better. He's going to come in here and rah, rah, I'm going to demand you get better. And this would have, I mean, look what he said about Connor McDavid a few weeks ago that right out. And I say like, well, you know, uh, kind of needs to shut up and just play hockey, like that sort of thing. Like, and Connor McDavid, I'm like, I guess I just shut up about it. That's not even his coach he's playing. He's, t- he's targeting the best player in the league and telling him to shut up. And Connor McDavid's like, I guess I should shut up about it. Like, yeah, you, th- that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Is that yeah. that doesn't play well together in today's game? And I think that's one of the reasons why. Uh, but I also moved but- on from Columbus. To that point, I think it's a little bit different when, yes, he's a former coach, but right now he's in the media. He works for ESPN, and he's paid to make uh, a, not abrasive comments, although he's an abrasive person, but controversial comments if you're John Tortorella. So for him, I think it falls on a player's ear differently if it's a coach being abrasive with him or critical of him to his face compared to uh, Tortorella, who's right now in the media, criticizing the best player in hockey that's okay i think that's a little bit different a, no, not a I, lot I, but a little bit i get what you're saying but do you not you're not seeing my point it's the reaction out of it look at the reaction that got out of Connor yes, but i'm ta- i'm saying that the reaction i think would be different if john tortorella was the head coach of the edmonton oil i think it would be worse because maybe but, but saying, i uh, but i also don't think it's a public thing like what we like i i the fact 
what we don't, ignorance is bliss, right? Like what yeah. we don't know is a good thing for the most part in sports. Like that, I, I if we don't hear about it, then we can't complain about it. So if we're hearing in, a, in this hypothetical where John Torrell is the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers and he says what he said about Connor McDavid uh, that he said on ESPN as the head coach, you don't hear Connor McDavid saying something in, in, to the media about, I guess I should shut up now. He may Correct. say it to him to back to his face after a certain point or whatever it may be, but he's not going to do it in public. And yes. that's what, and that's the difference. And, okay. And I agree with you. I agree with you, but that's not the core. Still. It's not the core of my point. The point is he's still got real estate space in Connor McDavid's head in a negative way. Yeah. Like that okay. has, that has effects. Like, you know, like, Connor McDavid is thinking about that as he's playing, as he's chirping because he didn't get a call because somebody slashed him. He's going back to, I guess I should just shut up about it. Like, like he knows. Yeah. That's not, that's not a great way. I get it from his perspective. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with John Turner. He's right. Just shut up and play hockey. But at the same time, when Connor McDavid's suspected, him getting affected, that's, that would be basically the same as his coach not backing him up, which is problematic in its own right. So, just on one example alone, I don't think you need that. I think you have a guy like a guy like a Rick Tockett who handled that in a much different approach. Like he's going to demand you play a hard game. He's going to demand you have an identity, but it's not like he's going to throw you to the side and not work with you and, and give you give you crap all the time. That's the type of approach you have. Plus, he's got plenty of experience working with guys like Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, you know, Jake Gensel, like guys who've won Stanley Cups. Matt Murray, when he was one of the best goaltenders in the league, where they won Cups in, in 2016 and 2017 with Pittsburgh. That, that's the kind of guy I want coaching this team is a guy who's able to take teams that, you know, yes, they have two big stars, but at the same time, there's not, there's not a great bunch of talent around there after that. And they have enough pieces in place where you can build the rest of the team around the couple guys and, and, and send them forward. That's my belief of that. I think why talking be a better choice is just you have the connection with the flyers already. He knows what to expect out of this. So going in here, he's going to know how to handle it the right way. And also, let's be real, having a guy who's a former flyer behind the bench right now, a guy like that, like Rick Tockett, I mean, I think, you've, yes, some fans are going to go against it, yeah, but for the like general, then, it's going to it's gonna sell tickets, man. At the end of the it day, it's going to sell tickets. I mean, it, it, uh, like I have the game on in the background right now. They seem to be selling tickets fine. They're one of the most sold-out arenas uh, in the NHL right now, like despite all the crap that we've been talking about the last three and a half weeks. Oh, five Oh six was the same way. It yeah. was the same, it's, 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 I'm sorry. It was six Oh seven. It was still sold out every yeah. night, but it, it, it even exacerbates that because it gives them something to hope and look forward to. Maybe, like, but I, I, I like, we talked about bef when, uh, even before you and I started this podcast, just as two friends, like we talked about how the the hiring of Ron Hextall, yes, it fell back into the pattern of hiring former Flyers and re-signing former Flyers back into the organization for something that that became a stigma with his organization. But it felt a little bit different because he was coming over from the Los Angeles Kings at the time. And then it, when that failed, you just kind of shifted completely. Like we got to get away from the former flyer crap. You got to get away. You got to go outside. You got to get. You got to go somewhere else. And that's why Chuck Fletcher was such a nice, welcoming site, despite his uh, lackluster in Minnesota. Like he kind of was hamstrung, as we've talked about, with the Parisi signings and all that. But still, like it was a nice, welcoming site when Chuck Fletcher came in through those doors because it wasn't a former flyer. I think if you look at Tockett. 
it's you're falling again back into your pattern. Now it's a Fair little point. bit different because it's not Bobby Clark hiring him. It's not Paul Holmgren hiring them. It's Chuck Fletcher hiring him, which again yeah. is outside the organization or outside here, the former and, Flyers organization. And he, let's be real with this is that Rick Tockett played here. He played a couple years before the end of his career, played a, 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 the starters career here. He played under Mike Keenan. He never coached here. So like, it's not like it's a retread. It's a guy yeah. literally who's learned all of his coaching experience. Who's won two Stanley cups with your state rival. Yeah. Like, that's definitely outside the organization, if you ask me. It's just he's a former player, which is a good connection there, who's just inducted in the Flyers Hall of Fame, and you know what he ex- he knows what to expect out of this franchise. And I think that's that's what the breath of fresh air is getting back to. Is it yes, the Flyers have take going outside with Dave Hackstall, with with Elaine Vigneault, with Chuck Fletcher, but they've gotten away from their identity. As an organization, even Claude and, said so. We don't have yeah. an identity right now at his press conference today. And yeah. I think, and I think, getting a guy like Tockett, who was around with Mike Keenan and went to Stanley Cup Finals and knew Mr. Snyder and knows what the type of culture that they expect here, it's a good way to start bringing that back a little bit. Yeah. So yes, well, so, I believe that a lot of the culture passed away with Mr. Snyder and has changed since then for this team, and it's gone for the negative. A lot of things to happen today would Mr. Snyder would never put up with, which is why I didn't have a mascot for years because they had an identity on the ice. You have to find a way to get that identity back on the ice because at the end of the day, that's what's selling the tickets. Grady's not going to sell tickets. The new arena the upgrades are not going to sell tickets. It's the on-ice product. And if you can have find a way to get that connection from what Rick Tockett learned here in Philadelphia and what to expect that you're out of Philadelphia and be able to translate that to the team on the ice, which is not going to be an easy feat. It would be difficult if he decides to come here, if they even decide to hire him. Yeah. Still step so, in the right direction. All right. So before we get into the preview of the week, obviously they're playing Colorado right now, but they have three other games this week, uh, including a West Coast swing. Is there any other name out there that you think could be a dark horse or a a, a, a a someone that we're not talking about because obviously as soon as even before AV was officially fired, you heard Tockett, you heard Tortorella, and those are the easy ones. You, I don't. There's one name, but I don't think he's ready yet for the NHL level. And ironically, I'm going to say I'm going to sound like a hypocrite for what I just uh, said. Here I we know go. he's behind yeah. the bench tonight. Ian Lapierre. I think he has a lot of uh, a lot of pull with this organization. I think if this had gone the direction that they wanted to do it, in terms of we talked about the quick turnover, four years, five years, and then you're gone. Uh, if AV was successful with this organization and uh, Lapierre, I mean the Phantoms are terrible right now, and that's a, a combination of things. It's not just coaching; it's because players aren't developing, players are lackluster, injuries, all that stuff. I think there's a part of me that believes Lapierre was the coach in grooming. Like, I think he was being groomed to be the, the, the guy four five, six years from now. Um, I think like we were talking about with Tockett players like him, players respect him play. He played for this organization. He knows how it goes uh, from the inside. So I think it would have just made sense. Now on the other side, uh, Steve Gordon was that same thing and it never worked out, but, or it was never really Scott, Scott, Gordon, Scott yeah. Gordon. Sorry, Scott Gordon. Okay. Um, it, it was just one of those things where they trusted him enough to develop players and that's where they felt him comfortable or the organization comfortable. So maybe that's what they see for Lappy, but I think Lappy was kind of a dark horse. I don't think he's going to get it uh, tomorrow or two weeks or six months from now. 
but I think it's a name that could make waves. He could be the next target, basically. I think he could make his way around the NHL and, and land a coaching job in a couple of years. See, I, I, I think if you're going to – it could be something along this as well. I mean – here's here's you're you're just not sold you're just not sold on lappy no i'm not sold on lappy because i don't think that you if lapierre was a laperriere wasn't really he's got a lot of assistant coach experience i just don't think he's ready for the salvia they sent him down there to really learn and develop a team and really get that grooming again i think that's very very valuable because even though it didn't work out here for John Stevens, it worked out very well for him for the first couple seasons here. He came up on the bench and, and coached with Hitchcock and then took the team over and then actually developed a pretty solid team up until the point where he did. And he was in the same situation as Vigneault. I think two things are at play here. One of them is that Rick Tockett is available. And I think Rick Tockett will continue to be available. I don't think he's going to go to a, a market like um, like that. Like there's Montreal is not going to fire their coaches. Um, Vancouver's already got Boudreaux. I don't think he would have fit well here anyway. And Boudreaux, he's only under the contract this rest of the season and next season, which tells me is that they're going to revamp their entire thing, and the next GM is going to bring in his guy. I'm going to go off on a hot take here, and this is this is going to be completely. Ooh, I love cool. I love Scott Weinhardt. This is hot left take. field. This is left field. Rod Brindamore. Rod Brindamore. <laughs> Rod Brindamore. Okay. All right. Look, look, look. Here, here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Call me crazy. Call me I, crazy. I am, but I will love to hear they this. They let Rod Brindamore's contract expire. He signed a three-year extension this season. Okay. Still, I don't know because he got less on the market than he could have gotten. If things don't work out the way they would, I don't know if they got that close last year, that it wouldn't go close, close again this year. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm just throwing it out there. Chances are it's very slim. That's why I said it's a hot take. Wait, he signed they, a three-year extension this past off season. Yes. Yes. So, so then, he's got, he, he, he was contract expired after last season and then right. he re-upped for three seasons. So he'd have two seasons after this. Okay. So again, they let it go farther than it when it needed to go. So it tells me there might have been some discord there. There might be some things going on behind the scenes that we know. That's why it's a hot take. I don't know. I'm just looking from the outside and say, Brynmore is that good of a coach has developed that team that well. Why did you almost let him go? Like, why yeah. did it take that long to not lock him up? AV got locked in for four frigging years, like right away. Like, why did it take that long to lock up a guy like Brynmore? I don't know if things are going on behind the scenes there or not. I don't know. But if he were to ever become available, that's your guy. Again, we're yeah. going back to the flyer. We're going back yep, to the former flyer thing. But he's proven track record of he can build a really good team. And that's why I have faith in Tockett that not because he's a former flyer, is that given an opportunity, I think that those two would be very similar in the way they would coach teams in that in that fact, because they have that same mentality of being that same era, that same kind of connection. Then look. Those Canes teams are good. They play very, very hard. They're a fun team to watch. I just saying is that that would be my high take. If Taka doesn't work out, they stick with Yo and Yo doesn't work out. I, I don't know. I just I, I've thought that for the past year. Like, why exactly would they almost let him walk with that situation? I don't know, man. I just something something about I mean, Roddy. I, something I, about Rod. I agree. I don't think it's I don't think it's that hot of a hot take. It's just a it's a good take. Like it's not a yeah. it's not an out out of left field. I should say it's a good take. 
I like this take. You should have more I mean, of these. I, I <laughs> look, I, I can't, I can't say like, he didn't take a lot of money, three year deal worth 1.8 million a season. That's not a lot. Like, you know, like let's see I, something. Yeah. The holdup was a lot of the stuff with the staff. Yeah. But I still just like, you didn't give him the autonomy to do it in the first place. And I know there's thing I don't look at. I don't, I don't know. I, I just feel like that, that, that there's something going on there that behind the scenes that we didn't know about. If they don't have a success where they don't go on a deep playoff run, then there could be problems in Carolina. I just got something to keep an eye on. Interesting. That's yeah. I like that. That's why it's a hot take. Again, I just meet, it's me speculating. That's why it's a hot take. I like I'm it. I'm all in. I like, I'm not going to oppose Rod Brindamore as the, as the head coach here in Philadelphia. That's for damn sure. Yeah. I'm not going to oppose it. Especially coming up a Jack Adams award winner. And video yeah, was exactly. not two seasons ago. So stranger things have happened. He Very. can, he could have it. Laviolette did and be like Laviolette where Laviolette wins the Stanley cup. And two seasons later, he's out of a job because his teams have fallen apart. And they yep. expand and hit the roster, but still yeah. the point. Exactly. Like it, yeah. stranger things have happened. Yeah. All right. Uh, so obviously they're playing Colorado as we are speaking right now. So we're not going to predict that game. Uh, they go on a three game road trip. I think this is something that could go. I mean, obviously, this is the tonight's only the second of a back to back at home. And then they go on the road. I think getting a way to establish Mike Yo is exactly what they need. As weird as that sounds, I just get away from the fan base, the pressures of us uh, in the stands, the booing and all that stuff. Uh, they got the Devils, Vegas Knights and Arizona uh coyotes what do you see here i mean this is it's not vegas is getting healthier the devils are the devils i mean and arizona is arizona well the devils are a bit of a slide lately they've won they've lost three straight so i'm looking at the devils and saying okay now there is a team primed to be beat right now it's the new jersey devils if the flyers are finding a way to get out of this slump and maybe they can against colorado we don't know because we're doing this as the game is going on so we're not predicting it as you said if they can find a way to get Claude and, and, and beat Colorado, that'd be one thing. But I think that getting the Devils and getting them at an opportune time where they're in a little slide too and the Flyers are going to come in a bit hungrier, I think they could be very, very problematic for the Devils. And that might just jumpstart this team enough for them to go and play a very hard team against Vegas, who's playing very well. Because, listen, there are six points available, technically eight, but we're not going to do one. But technically there's six points available this week. It's very feasible to get four of them. And that, and that would be a good turnaround and good start to the week because Vegas is good. Vegas has had their problems, but they're 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 starting to write the ship a little bit. They've won uh they've won two in a row. So they're writing the ship a little bit. I wouldn't, you know, going in a hard team like that might be too a tough task, but who knows? Like is Robin Leonard gonna have a good game? Is you gonna have a bad game? Who knows? So um that would be depend on that. But Arizona, I mean. Arizona's five and 17, like they're five, 17 and two. They're minus 46 in gold differential on the season. And it's, it's <laughs> oh my brutal over there. If you lose to Arizona, then just pack it up and go home. Like yeah. don't even play hockey again for a couple days. So like for a couple days, <laughs> just say like, obviously you're not going to throw it away forever, but. Uh, I think with Arizona, there's there's a good chance this team could come out of this slide. And with eight points available this week, depending on what happens with Colorado, you could get six out of eight points after losing eight in a row and with a coaching change. That's uh, that's really going to trend you in the right direction. It's a really good jump start here. So I'm going to say six points available. Ooh. They should bag three of them at least. I'm okay with okay. three. Yep. Three to four, but I think the streak ends this week, probably against the Devils. 
might drop one against Vegas. There's no reason at all. The worst case, if you get to 10 or 11 games, you have Arizona, which if you don't beat Arizona and just hang them up, just hang them up for yeah. however long you need to hang them up for. Uh, two days because then you play the Devils on that following Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Probably lose <laughs> no, them that time around. I actually agree with you. I think this is a three-point, just kind of very average, very medio- mediocre, figuring out your system under Mike Yo, figuring it all out, uh, and just going from there. I think this is the – you get one week <laughs> – sadly, this is one week of you get to try and figure it out, and then the week after, uh, by the time our next episode is like, okay – now you put it together and see what you can do. Because if you don't put anything together, it's over and there's no point in doing this uh, with right. Mike Yo or whoever's behind the bench. So, yeah, right. I'm going with mediocre three points, but three points is way more than they've had in the last eight games. So can't really can't really complain about that. Right. Agreed. 100 percent agree with you. All right. That is going to do it for this episode. Episode 95. Dude, we're five episodes away from the century mark of Orange and Backcheck. Thank you so much for being here uh, and being along with us on this ride. Make sure you are following us. The, the Twitter accounts and all that good stuff is in the description below. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all of it. TikTok, all of that crap. Uh, you can find us there. Uh, make sure you are uh, giving us five-star reviews, liking us, subscribing to us, and uh, we will talk to you next week. Mike, yo! Yeah! Had to throw in that dad joke. <laughs>